Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the When the Cleats Come Off podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Burkhart. I am stoked to have the first of many current Team USA softball players on the podcast. So if you're listening, this is 2021 and softball is officially back in the Olympics this year. And I know every single one of the players in the lineup are so excited to be able to compete for a gold medal at the Olympics. So this week is none other than one of my great friends, Delaney Spalding. So back in the day, Delaney and I used to actually coach alongside each other at the package deal clinics. So if you don't know what the package deal is, we would travel all over the country and do clinics with athletes. I mean, shoot, we've traveled literally everywhere from California to Texas to Florida to all of the states on the East Coast you can think of, we used to coach together. And so I figured she would be the perfect guest to come on here. So a little bit about Delaney. She is from California. She's the current shortstop for Team USA. And she has had some influences in her life that I can kind of relate to as well, just in a different light. So Delaney is one of four siblings. And she had two older sisters that played at the highest level in college. One was a four-time All-American at UNC, and the other was a standout at Oklahoma. So she had these sisters that were older than her that she looked up to and made her start loving the game at a young age. And she talks about in the interview how influential they were on her career and how badly she wanted to compete at the highest level as well. So she goes into so many things regarding her family, but some of the things that I loved chatting about with her were, what were her practices like growing up? So she talked about how in order to be the best, she had to practice like the best and what she was doing in her practices to become a really standout shortstop and have the best hands and have the best footwork. She's even sharing some of her favorite drills that she does at shortstop that she has been doing you know, since she was young, but is still doing at this age. So I need to give you also a warning. This conversation was so long and just fire, like everything, every minute. And I know I say this a lot, but seriously, every minute that we talk is just gold. And it's about an hour and a half conversation. So we actually decided that this week was going to be part one of the interview. The reason why is because she talks about her journey to become an Olympian and how that worked out for her growing up, what she likes to do when she practices, how she thinks at shortstop, how she's becoming one of the Olympic athletes that's going to be on the grandest stage in the Olympics this summer for us and the sacrifices it took for her to get there. So that's going to be part one. That's going to be today's interview. But what you have to look forward to next week is actually her ACL tear journey. So crazy enough, the Olympics were supposed to be in 2020. And in February of 2020, she tore ACL at practice and she didn't think she was going to be able to play at the Olympics. And oh my gosh, talk about a dream crusher. Like her and I grew up in the same era. We all we wanted to be Olympians so bad and literally the dream was a taste away and she tore ACL. So she goes through what that was like as an injury for her and how she's able to overcome it. So currently now while I'm recording this, she is practicing with Team USA. She's back at it. But that journey from last February to today has been crazy. And so next week, you're going to be able to hear that deep dive into that. But if you want to get to know Delaney and how she became an Olympian and her work ethic, this is my interview with 
Delaney Spalding. Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart, owner of Ashley B Training, former D1 athlete, and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well. But now I coach athletes and especially youth athletes. And I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, hey, I'm just gonna dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn from some of the greats, I'm gonna have some of the best softball players Some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are going to be on this podcast sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner, so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive. And that's why we're here. So welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep. And I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here. And I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us. Learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So whip out your notebook and let's head to the next episode. All right, here she is, current USA shortstop, Delaney Spalding. Hey girl, welcome to the conversation. Hi, Ash. How are you? I'm so good. I miss you. Tons. I know. It's been so long. (laughs) So if anybody anybody hasn't been following the package deal, Delaney and I, we go back like what, two years now to when we were both on the roster Mm -hmm. sharing our love for the game with other athletes across the country. I miss that. I know. It was was always so much fun to travel and then just teach the game together and all the memories in between. Yeah. Like I, I will say though, that the wake up calls at 3am and the crazy travel part, (laughs) it's like one of those where you think about college and the things that you miss are some of those moments of like 300 yard shuttles and like awful days, but like you kind of miss that stuff. Yeah. That's like, I feel like besides the games and like, obviously the fun in the game, but yes, the long bus ride, long bus rides, the 6am's like the stuff that you wrote, like are just absolutely do not want to be there in that moment are the one things that think about when you're all said and done. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I'm so stoked to have you here. You are one of the the dream guests on the show. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Especially just because I know there's young athletes out there that have huge dreams and goals and you're kind of living your dream. And so absolutely. If, if you can start with just sharing your softball journey from when it started to where you are now, take mm-hmm. as long as you need to tell us because it's probably a long journey, but a really mm-hmm. fulfilling and awesome one for you. Yeah. So I grew up in SoCal. So, you know, I feel like Southern California kind of gets the MO of softball, softball country, whatever you want to call it. Um, 
but my I have three older sisters, so I'm the baby of my family, and they all played softball. So I grew up in a softball house, and my oldest two played D1 in college. So I was told, I obviously don't remember, but I was at the softball field when I was like weeks old because of my older sister. And so I was practically raised on the field. But I think my earliest and best memories at the field was when I was younger and I would take naps like during their games. And I just remember in the background, like hearing cheering and the game being played and (laughs) birds chirping and planes flying over, you know, and I would just fall asleep to that. And I, I genuinely think that's what made me also fall in love with this game. And so that's like some of my earliest memories with the game. I was their bat girls at certain times over the weekends. And when I was just, we all went to the same high school at Awanda high school, which is really, really cool. And we played under the same head coach actually. So that's, that's like something that's really, really special within my family. But I was like their good luck hug when they went to CIF and they actually won CIF, my oldest sister, Amber. And so I was heavily involved in my sister's um, softball career. My oldest sister went to OU, went to Oklahoma, and I was only eight years old when she first moved out. So she was 18, I was eight. And I just remember always going to Oklahoma with my sister. Almost, It felt like almost every single weekend. And I just mm-hmm. had the time of my life. I was playing wall ball while she was playing. And, you know, I was just around the game constantly. Um, and so I, I was definitely destined to play softball. Um, I 100% believe that. So, you know, just fast forwarding and I played on the OC Batbusters. I played with Gary Hanning and then I played with Mike Stiff, who I got lessons for fielding and for hitting through Mike Stiff before I even played with him. And um, I owe so much to my parents and then, but I also owe so much to Mike. He has definitely developed me into the the player and the shortstop and the hitter that I am today. And then from there, obviously, um, I got recruited to go to UCLA. My dream school that I didn't even know until, you know, you, it kind of goes back to you don't know what you had until you, you know, you graduated. And yeah. then, and absolutely, it was my dream school. Um, it was just about 45 minutes away from home. So I that was really important to me as I got to be there for all of my family's big accomplishments, my nephews, my niece, birthday parties. And then from there in 2016, my junior year, I got a tryout to be on Team USA. Um, And then from there on out, I've been on Team USA until what was supposed to be the Olympic year, but now I'm going into 21. So so yeah, it's been it's been quite a journey. It's been a lot of ups and downs, but you know, that's just life. And I'm very, very thankful and I'm very blessed for my softball journey. It's got me to be a future Olympian. And I, I can't thank the people in my life enough that has gotten me to where I am today because I truly believe without them, obviously the good and the bad, I would not have had this opportunity to be an Olympian. So I just wanted to, you know, give them a quick shout out. But my parents, definitely the biggest influence in my career. Having four daughters, I mean, I can just imagine, you know, the the um, the struggle, the commitment of finances, time, just everything that they had to, you know, put themselves second and put their daughters first. And especially me being the last one, 
Um, I can just imagine how they were feeling when they, you know, had another daughter that was going through travel ball and lessons and everything that came with the game. They were a huge impact on me just with my discipline, just with my love for the game. And they ultimately, you know, helped me 100% get my scholarship to go to a D1 school. So I owe them everything as well. Wow. Wow. What a journey. (laughs) There's so much in that story that I want to unpack, but I want to start with your dream to play at UCLA. Now you basically shared, you know, the fact that it's, it's so close, like it was perfect. You were able to do all the things that Maybe, you know, when you were growing up, you had to sacrifice not to be around sometimes, but being so close to home was probably the biggest reason why you went to UCLA or wanted to go Mm -hmm. there. Are there any other things that you remember from your childhood that you were like, I want to play here because this? Okay, so I will say that I'm not one to like, to like look up to, or I shouldn't say that. I'm not one to like pick something like UCLA and then like that's the only thing that I'm setting my mind to you know if you know what I mean like I did not have a specific school that I wanted to go to Mm. and when I was getting started getting recruiting recruited um UCLA didn't come into the picture right away and so when they did I didn't believe them I was like nah I was like (laughs) I don't believe you like no way And I think when they told me that I was getting recruited by UCLA, that's when I clicked in my mind, I guess, how good I was because I knew the stature that UCLA was at. And so I'm like, okay, wait, if they are recruiting me, then that's obviously a good sign. So that's something that's like, that was really cool for me to experience as, you know, a young athlete. Yeah. So I went on a visit actually to the University of Arizona And then right after that, like, I want to say the next weekend or the two weekends later, I went on a visit to UCLA. I absolutely fell in love with UCLA. The campus is beautiful, not to mention the softball facilities and the tradition of softball. I never knew that I would be obsessed with tradition at UCLA like I am today. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I absolutely fell in love. I remember walking down the stairs to my parents when I was, I was in, I was a freshman in high school. I remember walking down the stairs and I said, I looked at them and I said, I think I want to be a Bruin. And they were like, really? And I was like, yeah, I think so. And so I called Coach I right away and I told her and she was obviously ecstatic. We were ecstatic and I went up that weekend and I, you know, big hug and we were all just celebrating, but I did not know then what I know now about why I chose UCLA. I mean, it was, I was young, of of course, I was a freshman in high school. Um, I saw beautiful campus. I saw tradition. I saw trophies, but now looking back, it was hands down the greatest decision I have ever made. I have a great education. I have um, some I have the best memories for college softball I, I could possibly ever dreamed of. And I was close to home, like, like I said. And I got to, th- my parents were in at every single game. The only game they did not go to was because my nephew was being born. Um, <laughs> and then right after wow. my game, I drove down and I was there for my nephew. So I obviously did not know all of that when I committed. But Mm -hmm. now looking back, I'm just so, so grateful that, you know, I had 
my little angel on my shoulder who told me like UCLA is it because family is so important to you and you're going to be there for every single milestone in your family's journey. And so it was, it was, like I said, the best decision ever. Wow. It just sounds like a fairy tale, you know, like, (laughs) and I loved how you described that it was the dream school you never really had until, you know, it fell in your lap. I kind of felt the same way with Purdue. You know, my dream was to play at Notre Dame. I live like two hours away. Mm -hmm. I would go to their camps. I'd be around that tradition. I was just like, man, this is where I want to be. But like, because of that dream, it led me to finding my actual dream school, which was Purdue. So, Mm -hmm. you know, those people that, especially the young athletes that are like, oh my gosh, I want to play here. Well, you're listening to a USA shortstop who didn't even know where she wanted to go. She just wanted to be really good and see where it took her. And this kind of was the byproduct of working really hard, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, having the dream and goal is one thing, but also realizing that it's not the end all be all. It can kind of allow all of us to kind of fall in your lap, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think it kind of just, it allows yourself to, how do I say it? I mean, to not really be disappointed. I mean, if my dream still was UCLA and I, I don't go there, you know, like I, I'm not going to be considered a failure for not going to my dream school. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it's just have your sets and sets, uh, your mind and your goals set on characteristics rather than like a set school. And then from there that, you know, they always say in the recruiting process, you know, create pros and cons, your checklist of what you want from each school and, or from the school that you want to go to. And so I think if you have that rather than like, I want to go to OU, I want to go to Purdue, I want to go to Florida, UCLA, you know, just have that list of what characteristics you want in a school, in a program, in a city, and then go from there. Yeah, that's so good. And another thing that you said earlier and I want to unpack on is how you called Southern California the softball country. (laughs) And I want to dive into this because I'm a girl from the Midwest. A lot of the people listening are probably from the Midwest as well. And I know there's some people in California and they get it like you get it. But I was always curious why all the best tournaments were being played out in California. It looked like some of the best rosters all had California players. So what is it that makes it the softball country, at least from your opinion? And what Mm -hmm. is it like, you know, growing up in Southern California and going through, you know, travel ball systems and having different coaches for different things? What was that, you know, little journey like for you from just being in that part of the country? So I will say when I played, I graduated high school in 2013. It's a lot different than it is now. I will say that, but I believe Mm -hmm. we're on the right track to going back to competitive travel softball. Mm -hmm. But I think SoCal, and I never really thought of this when I was in the process of going through travel ball, middle school, and then high school, but we really do have great weather, almost three, six, five. And so we can play outside all the time. And I think that's why you see a lot of back East Midwest teams flying into California, Arizona, um, to play because we have, we have great weather and we can have, we can afford to have the tournaments because we know it's probably not going to (laughs) rain to (laughs) plan a tournament. And so, um, with that also, I've always been on a travel ball team. We, didn't really focus on the recruiting part of it. We competed and we competed to win. I think mm-hmm. oh, back back then, especially with more, more so you than me, I would say, and with my older sisters, they had tournaments where there was a winner. There was a champion, one winner to second place, third place, maybe. And they competed to win. And that ultimately made them better. And that mm-hmm. ultimately got them recruited. 
So I think it all t- trickles in together. And I think we kind of fell out of that a little bit. We focus so much on the exposure tournaments and everybody has to play to get recruited and everybody's a winner. And it's like, no, when I grew up and I played, I had, I was challenged because there was another shortstop or another middle infielder, or there was somebody younger than me or older than me that was better than me. So I had to get better. But Mm. with that, I'm learning from the girls around me who are just as good, if not better than me. And so that made me better and a better athlete. And I think that's why I am so grateful for the Batbuster organization because they have a very good system and girls and athletes in their um, organization where I was, I was just learning so much just from sitting the bench or just from being at practice. I mean, the knowledge that I was gaining was tremendous. Just dialing it back with SoCal, at least when I was in travel ball, is we just competed to win all the time. We mm-hmm. had tournaments where we wanted to be the number one team. If we had college coaches in the stands, that's great because they are seeing me compete and my competitive nature and how to win a game. They don't want it. They sure. They would love to see me go three for three, but they want to see how I am competing to the team to ultimately win a championship or that tournament, because that's what they want. They want gamers. They want girls that are going to get lay it all out there to be a champion. So I think that's kind of what separates SoCal um, or California in general when it comes to that, because I mean, when I was in high school, we, we competed to win everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And, and it bugs me a lot of times when, you know, I hear big organizations like that get a bad rap for the fact that they have so many teams and, you know, but like, that's the thing like about great organizations like Batbusters, it's they have, they do have a ton of teams, but you are going to be placed on a team where you can compete and you can be challenged. And when you've done Mm -hmm. that, you're going to go to this team and then you're going to go to this team, which is ultimately played for the Indiana Magic up here in Mm -hmm. Indiana. Mm -hmm. Because when I decided I wanted wanted to play D1 and I wanted to be challenged, I needed to be on a team that would play the Batbusters and that would play, you know, all these other teams that are just really well known. And so I love that you mentioned the competing part because that was my dad's reasoning behind, you know, investing a lot of money in a big travel team because Mm -hmm. you have to invest to play against the best. And if Mm -hmm. I wanted to play D1, it wasn't just about getting to D1. It's about like actually playing and winning. And, you know, mm-hmm. like if I'm not facing pitchers that are some of the best out in California or just we're meeting there to hang out and play each other, then I'm not getting better. So it's yep. so good that you're bringing this to light because there are organizations that are, you know, in the Midwest that are competing, you know, in California in these great tournaments. And so, absolutely. and so I want athletes, even if they live in the Midwest or, even the East Coast, there are places, I mean, it's probably going to be California, so I know it's a trip, (laughs) but like there are places where you can play against the best and seek to perform to go and win. And so Mm -hmm. that's, I'm so glad you mentioned that because so many people are like, well, I don't have a chance if I live out here. And I'm like, that's a lie. That's not true. Yeah, I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Nobody knows Mm -hmm. that place for softball at all. But Mm -hmm. as long as you're finding teams that are going to keep challenging you and you're you know, you have another shortstop or another player that plays your position that's challenging you to rise to the occasion, that's just Mm going to ultimately make you better. And one of the questions, I remember Amanda answering one of these at a package deal clinic. And 
one of the parents was like, hey, how do I find the right team for my daughter? And I Mm -hmm. think Amanda said, as long as you're not the best on the team and you're being challenged on that team, you're on the right team. Exactly. And and it sounds like that was like your entire journey from the time you started to the time you finished. So absolutely. I love that. Hey guys, jumping in here real quick inside of Delaney's Poldings episode to do a listener shout out. So if you guys don't know, you can give me a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. So this one's coming from there. And this is from Joe Thompson 14. The title is love this podcast. He says, I just listened to your interview with Morgan Stewart. And all I can say is, wow, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I can't wait to jump in and listen to more of your episodes. Joe, thanks for warming my heart today. I love that you loved that episode. So that episode with Morgan was so fun. We talked about the power of not just helping out your defensive game, like the footwork, the glove work. We go into all of that but the power of having a strong mental game. So if defense or having a stronger mental game is something that you need to work on, that's gonna be your episode with Morgan Stewart. Joe, thank you so much for this review. And maybe you'll be the next person that I shout out if you leave me a review. So if you guys don't know, every rate and review that you guys leave me helps make this podcast jump. So if you love this podcast, It can help jump in the rankings if you write a review. It means the absolute world to me, but it also makes more people in this world listen to it. So thank you so much for this review. I'm excited to see who's going to be my next shout out on the When the Cleats Come Off podcast. All right, let's head back to this interview with Delaney Spalding. So one more thing about travel ball, you, you said that you trained and you worked out with your coaches. What did a typical, like, let's say Wednesday night, you know, shortstop session, what were the things that you guys were working on, you know, in your, in your, you know, soul work aside from the team and everything? So before I played with Mike, I was training with Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it, it took me a while to get there. I, I had earlier in my career, I had different fielding instructors and hitting instructors. And then I finally dialed into Mike. When we, uh, when we did fielding lessons, I remember it was Monday night. It was always the later, it was always the last session because we were the oldest. We would focus a lot on the little things. First of all, we, we couldn't do too much because we were in a cage. We were inside. We weren't outside. Mm. So if you can just imagine, it was a lot of drills. Um, we focused on the little things of glove work and short hops and you know, being on our knees and taking our feet out of it and just focusing on our glove. And then we, we, that's when we got into moving our feet and then we, um, we would throw on the run or we would, um, focus on throwing around the bases. Um, you know, it was a lot more so in lessons. It's a lot, lot more about the little things and then dialing in to making sure that that's perfect so that we can ultimately just do it secondhand when we get into the game. And so I think with fielding lessons, I absolutely love them because defense is my thing. But (laughs) we focused a lot more on drills rather than ground balls, nailing ground balls on us. That was more so practice on the weekends outside. And so I, I loved that part of Monday night's defense because it was focusing on the little things. And that's when you get better, essentially. That's that's when you learn so much. And then you get on the field and you you apply that onto the field at practice. And then it's just like all of a sudden it clicks. And when it clicks, 
man, that's a good day. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So I just interviewed Morgan Stewart last week and we Mm -hmm. both worked with her at the package deal. And we were, I mean, essentially package deal is tons of drills thrown at you in a really short amount of time, which I love. I love the format because you're, you're at the drill just long enough to get the drill. And then you move on to the next one. So you're basically going home with like a million drills. You know, in that environment, I can't say how I would react to it as an athlete. I'd probably be like so particular about footwork or so particular about where's my glove. And you don't really have time to ask many questions. And we just have Mm -hmm. to execute. And I feel like Mm -hmm. I love that strategy of just, hey, you don't have to completely get it. Just go at it. You'll figure it out. So from package deal, because I'm sure there's going to be some package deal listeners right now. What are some of those (laughs) drills that you... You feel like maybe you did similarly when you were growing up or just some of your favorites that'll just make defenders better. I definitely think Morgan definitely understands and comprehends the, the drills and understanding breaking it down. She does it better than most, just the ability to separate everything. So when I say separate, I mean, footwork to glove work to Mm -hmm. throwing and, and kind of just breaking it down to its simplest form. And that's what package deal does. They give you, like you said, tons and tons of drills and it's up to you of what you want to do with it. And you, if you just say, Oh, okay, this was a fun experience. And then you never touch on them again. It's like, well, what's the point? You just, yeah. you just wasted your money. Yeah. You have all of these drills, take them home and apply them or take them to your team and apply them. So that's just my one little thing that I wanted to say, but, yeah. um, Definitely love the or the drill of like good hop, bad hop. Um, I think that's huge for footwork. And then also for glove work, it's kind of like it ties in both of those. Um, just being able to, it's, it's kind of more challenging for the younger girls because they don't understand how to really measure the hop um, yeah. quite yet. But um, I think it's really good to continue to practice. And then as you get, older high school, my age or our age, we kind of grasp it more, but it's always good to touch back on. Um, good hop, hop, bad hop is awesome. And then also a, just a, just a small one. I I'm sure Morgan does it, um, um, at her TPD clinics. It's just throwing around the bases. It could yeah. be as small or as, or a 60 feet if you would like it, but you apply a tag and you make them switch their feet and you just throw around and you throw around. And then once they get warmed up, then you put a clock on it. And I think if you put a clock on anything and you apply that pressure, all of a sudden you're going to see these missed throws. You're going to see girls bobbling the ball. And that's what we want. We want to create pressure. We want to create game-like situations as quick as much as we can, because obviously nothing compares to the game. So we have to practice that. So I think just simply, just the simple fact of throwing around bases, it can be 60 feet, 45 feet, 30 feet, doesn't matter just getting that pressure and getting that um, footwork, that glove work, the tags perfected, I think is huge. Yeah. And again, like you're using all the same words I use, which is fun. So that find, <laughs> like finding a way to perfect a drill, people probably think, well, why the heck would you want to perfect a drill? Because you're not doing drills in games. That's what people say a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, then you're not actually looking at this the way that you should. If you can work to perfect a drill and maybe add a time, if that's something that you can add, especially on defense, I'm always looking at the hitting aspect because that's my right. that's my baby and yours is defense, but yeah. it's essentially the same. Like if you work to perfect a specific drill and you 
pair that with, you know, doing that in practice and doing it with a clock time or whatever, you're going to see your game get better. Now it's not one of those where you're like, oh, it's because of this drill. I'm good at this. Um, it's not always the case. It's not always that clear, Mm -hmm. but you'll just see yourself becoming a better overall athlete when you work Mm -hmm. to perfect, you know, some of the drills that you're explaining. Mm -hmm. Can you just, for the audience that doesn't know what good hop, bad hop is, can you just do like a quick (laughs) 30 second breakdown of what that drill is? Yeah. So you have, um, obviously the, the person with the ball, the, the thrower, I guess is what you would call them. <laughs> and they throw the ball into the ground really close to your feet. And then you try to get a really high bounce. And then what the purpose of the fielder would be is to measure how high the bounce is and when it's going to bounce, how it's going to bounce based off of the spin, based off of the dirt, whatever surface you are on. And then the fielder has to catch the ball on the second hop on the short hop second short hop sorry the second hop and they want it you want to get a short hop into your glove so if it's kind of hard to explain actually now that i'm explaining it and not demoing it it's the you want to focus on the second hop is what you want to catch and it has to be a short hop so we generally want to catch a short hop like right below your knee right below your knee probably around your ankle And it just really makes you focus on your footwork because you don't want to be planted on the ground because then you're probably not going to catch it on the second hop or you're not going to catch it on a short hop. You want to be able to move your feet and um, catch it on a short hop. So it makes that really cool sound of when it goes, (laughs) hits the ground and then goes right into your glove. I love that sound. Yeah. It's like that. Hopefully that, that was good. Yeah. Yes. Morgan would be so proud of that, by the way, <laughs> of that description. <laughs> yeah. She always likes to say how the, the easiest hop to get is a short hop because oh, yeah. you trap it before it can do anything crazy. So mm-hmm. I really, really love that drill. It's one of my favorites. I love it too. too. I'm going to put a link to that drill in the show notes for anybody that's just like, how yeah. the heck do we do this? Because translating a podcast to a real life visual is very hard and I'm a visual learner. So for those visual learners that are struggling right now, I got you go to the show notes and you'll be able to find a drill. And if it's not up, I'm going to text Morgan and be like, Hey, post something. But with that, I think that's just so fun. You breaking down your favorite position in the world Mm -hmm. and you know how much time you're putting outside of the game. Let's say you're 15 years old and you're striving to become the best you can be you know, what type of sacrifices does that take? You know, like what are, what are, what are you walking away from? What are you saying no to so that you can make sure you're spending more time on developing yourself than maybe yeah. doing some of the extracurriculars that most people get to do when they don't play sports at this level? I'm not going to lie. It's hard being a teenager and then just feeling like almost left out of high school or whatever age that you are in. But I think you need to have a gut check and you need to look in the mirror and say, is this what I want to do? Do I want to be, do I want to go to college and be an athlete um, and play softball or, you know, whatever the sport may be. And with that comes sacrifices. Like you said, I mean, I didn't necessarily go to every single school dance. I went to prom. Yes. I went to my senior prom. Yes. I did not go to all of the school dances. And that may have, that may be hard for some girls because that's what they want to do. I didn't go to all of the football games. You know what I mean? I knew that I had to be up at 7am or 6am the next day on Saturday for practice for a three to four hour practice. Actually, I'm not going to lie. We had about six hour practices with a lunch break. Wow. (laughs) 
Woo. Yes, it was an all day thing. <laughs> so I knew what I was getting myself into. So I had to make the sacrifice because I knew, I knew myself, Delaney Spalding, I wanted to be D1 and I wanted to go play. And I knew the sacrifices that I, that was going to take. I cannot stay out all night on Friday night and knowing that I have a six hour practice on Saturday morning where I knew I was going to condition. I knew I was going to be out there in the heat all day. De- they were de- going to demand my very best. Um, and not to mention, we actually did have college coaches go to our practices. So there's another thing. Mm-hmm. And whether you're committed or not, if there, whether you're committed or not, if you have a college coach at your practice, you don't want to look defeated or you don't want to have any type of edge. And don't for one minute think that they're not going to call your coach and say, uh, Delaney's holding. She was looking a little, she was looking a little defeated out there at practice today. Like what's going on? So anyway, that's just something oh, kind of oh, my little spiel. But I mean, I had I had lessons an hour away every Monday night and then every Thursday night was hitting. I was doing homework on the way there. I was doing homework on the way back. So I think you learn a lot when you get into college as far as time management. But if you can learn that, like when you are in high school, even younger, that would be amazing. But in high school, just learning the time management of if you do not focus on your school and your studies, you're not going to have that fun time of practice and softball and games. And you learn that really, really, really quick in college. So the quicker that you learn that, I think you'll have the best setup to when you get to college. So just having that um, sacrifice of time management of I, if I want to go, I know I have an event or this movie time at seven o'clock, but I have my school that I need to study for. And then also maybe I need to hit off of the tee or maybe I need to do some wall ball drill drills or something. I need to time it out so that I can make that movie of what I want to do. But I'm just, like I said, I mean, just having your priorities straight of school and then softball and then social, or maybe it's school and then social or one day, but just understanding that there's going to be sacrifices if you want to be great, if you want to go to the next level and that's okay because it is 100% worth it. And I will say that. And I know you will say that the sacrifices that we made during the summer, like our summer is softball (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the sacrifices that we make during high school, it is 1000% worth it when you get to college. Um, because that is the ultimate experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, where do I begin with this? Because I think that's the hardest thing to, to get across is if you want it bad enough, you're going to have to do a lot of things that mm-hmm. you wouldn't, you know, when you look at it from the bigger picture, like what sounds more fun? Like going to a movie with your friends. I mean, we're, we're all going to choose softball now because we've like done this long enough. But like when you're yeah. young, like choosing softball over a movie with your friends sounds really tough. It sounds like, yeah. well, softball is not as fun as the movie. Okay, well, your priorities, what are they? Because you said your priorities were D1. Mm -hmm. So all of those decisions that you had to make were simple. Because to play D1, these were the things that were required of me. And Mm -hmm. and I think, and 
obviously this is a podcast for parents, so I want to get them into this conversation as well. So if your athlete has trouble deciding, you know, what is it that you want to, that you want to do? Do you want to go to this basketball practice at the same time as the softball practice or like where Mm -hmm. are the priorities, you know? And so Mm -hmm. like, let's say your athletes in high school and she's having that dilemma, basketball or softball. Yeah. Well, what's her big goal? Like what's, Mm -hmm. what's the thing that she's after? If she's after a D1 scholarship in softball, then it's an easier decision. So I mm-hmm. hope that, you know, parents and athletes that are listening to this understand that it's not always easy, but we can simplify it by mm-hmm. really being very clear on where it is we're headed and where we want to be. I would say it's definitely not easy. I mean, you feel you're a teenager, you're growing up, you're learning yourself, you're trying to fit in. Uh, and then on top of that, like you cannot, uh, you can't go to certain things because uh, the, I can't, I have softball, you know, that saying is so <laughs> popular, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's so true. And so I think it definitely goes back to what you're saying. What are your big goals? What are your big dreams? You really have to look in the mirror and you really have to have these conversations with your parents or with the people that you, or with someone that you look up to, because if you want to go D1, it's very simple. If you want to go D2, it's very simple. If you want to go D3, it's very simple. You know what I mean? It's very simple of the decision that you want to make based off of your goals and your dreams. Now, if you just want to have fun and play high school softball and then just go to college and go to school, that's fine. Then you, then that, that's your decision. That, that's your goals. That's fine. And then that that's up to you. But like you said, if you want to go to college and play softball, you're going to have to make sacrifices. But in the end, 100% worth it. I will say that until my grave. <laughs> yeah, me too. So what were your parents like when you said, well, how old were you when you wanted to go D1? Do you know? Oh. Pretty young? I, don't, I mean, yeah. you had sisters that were in D1 yeah. when you were born, so it's well, yeah relative. But yeah, yeah, so basically from a pretty young age, you wanted to play D1. Yeah, I know I wanted to go to college to play. Yeah, and I didn't really have that decision until I was like a freshman in high school, which is so interesting. So mm. so think about, you know, you decided at a much earlier age than I did, you know, and I didn't play for that great big organization until I was going into my sophomore year of high school. So mm-hmm. when you think about like the earlier you can kind of pinpoint what you want is, the better. So <laughs> I will ask you this question. When you were little, was Team USA on your mind? Were you wa- were you watching, you know, Natasha Watley on TV? And Defined you were like, little. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. So Tosh is definitely my like, you know, my the my the shortstop that <laughs> I absolutely admire and want to be. Absolutely. Now, when I was younger. I watched, absolutely watched them in the Olympics and I loved Jenny Finch. I did. And I'm not a pitcher, which is so funny, but Mm. I loved Jenny Finch. I love Tosh, but I will be lying if I said that I had dreams and aspirations of being on Team USA throughout my entire career. And the only reason why I did not is because we were not in the Olympics. I did not understand what a Team USA was without the Olympics. And so, you know, I don't want to mislead, you know, your listeners and say, oh, I've since the womb, I've dreamt of being on Team USA because that would just be a lie. When I got the invite in 2016, I, first of all, I thought it was fake (laughs) (laughs) to the tryout. I thought it was fake. I had to like race up to my, um, my head coach's office and like, I showed it to her and she just like 
almost threw my phone down and gave me a big hug. I was like, <laughs> yes, this is real. I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Like, and so <laughs> I think from there on is when I had dreams of being an Olympian and being on Team USA for the rest of my career. I don't see myself not, as, as long as I perform and make the team, I don't see myself not being on Team USA until I retire. I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, the dream wasn't really alive when we weren't in the Olympics, because I will tell you when we were taken out of the Olympics, you know, that fire to, you know, visualize myself in a Team USA uniform, I thought that's what it was too. It was just the Olympics, you know, and, you know, seeing you compete since 2016 for this team has been so much fun. You are literally (laughs) like, I enjoy watching you so much as much as I love. I told you this earlier before we started recording. Javi Baez is my favorite, you know, MLB shortstop, but I'm like Delaney Spalding is clear is my obvious (laughs) choice for, for shortstop and softball. And it's just so amazing how good your hands are and like a testament to all the drills you did growing up. Like your footwork's incredible. It's like, you just have such a knowledge for the game and it's so enjoyable to watch. What have been some of your favorite enjoyments of playing for Team USA for as long as you have? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So I would definitely say playing college ball and then playing international ball, um, which is Team USA. It's another step. It's it's the next level. I mean, I'm playing with with some 30-year-olds. And at the time, I was about 21. And so, you know, these are grown women. They understand the game. They understand how to hit. And there's a difference between hitting and like how to hit, like, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? There's, there's a difference. There's another Mm -hmm. level. And so, first of all, I learned really quick. And, um, and so I really, really enjoyed the pace of the game of Team USA and, um, of the international game and just how competitive it is, not on the field, but how competitive it is mentally and how to strategically play a game and how to prep for a game. It's completely different than I've ever done in my entire career. And so what I was getting at is I was in the middle of college when I was still playing Team USA. And and 2016 was a really, really big year for Team USA. Um, It was world championships. And that was the same year that we were getting that the vote was for softball and baseball to be back into the Olympics. And so Mm -hmm. winning winning the world championships that year was huge for us. And we played Japan also and which the 2020 Olympics were are in Japan. So that was huge for the both of uh, our countries to be in that final for world championships. And these are things that I did not know my first year being on team USA. And so, you know, I'm just playing the game that I love, you know, just doing Delaney and <laughs> doing Delaney. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> And there's this, there's this whole other, um, you know, layer behind what was actually going on with the Olympics and everything. And so 2016 was a really, really, really cool year and just learning the international game. And um, I was very young in this international game and this next level of softball. And I, I grew up really quick through that. So I really love the game within the game at that next level of pro ball and international ball. It's the same thing pretty much. So uh, that's what I really, really take away from Team USA is just that that next level of softball. Man, it's so much fun. I wish we were on TV so much more. And I'm so thankful that we pro softball has been on TV this these past couple of months. But I mean, to to play Team USA or to play on Team USA and to play Team Japan, I mean that game is that game is intense. I am more mm. exhausted mentally than <laughs> my feet are in those those spikes. 
I mean, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And for those that don't know, the final Olympics that softball was in, USA lost to Japan. So, so that's where, you know, that rivalry and fire and excitement comes from. And I actually, when I played in Dallas, I, one of my teammates was Ari Yamada. So the one who She's one of the greats. Like absolute legend. And it's, it's so crazy to see things almost come, you know, full circle for the game. Like we're back. Here we go. Like Mm -hmm. I, I am already getting goosebumps thinking about 2021. And so with that, I want to ask you a quick question about, you know, the older players. What are some of the things, I mean, I had a conversation with Tosh my first year in the pro league. I was like, Tosh, like, when do you think you peaked? Like, when, when do you think like you were at your absolute best? And this was actually her final season playing in the NPF. She Mm -hmm. goes, I was 27. She's like, I felt like when it came down to physical skills and my mental skills, I was just there at its best at 27. I was like, whoa. And when you think about it, most softball careers end before 21. that. Yeah. Like it, it's just insane because you think about all the knowledge that you're gaining from having teammates like this for Team USA and being around, yeah. you know, the game in Japan for her. What what if some of the bigger or older players that you compete alongside, what if what are some of the, the things that they're teaching you? The main thing that I have learned um playing with girls that are older than me is just the consistency, the training, and the simplicity of this game. We, I think we kind of overanalyze how, how softball needs to be played. N- not, not, um, against your opponent. I'm talking about like, like with your swing and with, and with how you field and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that when you keep it simple and you see ball hit ball, or you see a ground ball and you field it and you throw it to first base, you are going to give yourself the best chance to make that play or to get that hit. You know what I mean? And so with that, I think when you, the more you play this game and that's why Tosh said she peaked at 27 and I would probably say, I definitely have not peaked yet, which is really exciting. And unfortunately, so exciting. (laughs) Yeah. And unfortunately I got hurt, but I, and hopefully I go up and not down. (laughs) You will, but you'll go. (laughs) Oh, definitely. But I'm just saying like, you learn so much about your yourself and body awareness and how to play the game within the game even better, even more. I think college, you're, you're going up, but when you go beyond that, when you get to pro and you get to international, I mean, you get that peak and you really understand how to play this game to the best of your own ability. And then once everybody collectively understands that and is growing up in this game, I mean, it's just fun softball. That's the one thing I think I have really learned is that the more you are in this game and the longer you are in this game, it becomes so simple. And when you just have an understanding of your body and how your body feels and you just body awareness, look out because if you can feel your front hip flying open when you hit and you just do a pre-movement and you're like, oh, that didn't feel very good. I mean, that's scary. And that's that's awesome. And so that's when it just gets really fun, um, in, in my own opinion. Yeah. It's so funny you say that because just this morning I was watching an Athletes Unlimited video of Kat Osterman. And she mm-hmm. she was mic'd up. I think it was yesterday. Oh, yeah. And yeah. she was talking about her French shoulder. And she's just like, I got to get my shoulders figured out, like in line or whatever. Yeah. And straight to your point, that is complete body awareness. And oh, yeah. the more reps you put in, pitching, fielding, hitting, 
the more yeah. you can feel that. And so mm-hmm. I, I giddy, like I get giddy when I think about this, this stuff, because as a hitting coach working with athletes right now, I'm not about, you know, you need to do this many reps of this drill. No, mm-hmm. you do the drill. You tell me what you're feeling. And when you, when it clicks, then we can like start elevating and like trying new things, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but it's about feeling that, you know, that light bulb or it's about feeling, oh, hey, I think I maybe opened up my hips a little bit early. Just like simple things like that. It's it's yep. so good. And I'm so glad that you you dove into that because I think people do overcomplicate the game. I mean, I feel yeah. like we all do at some point in time. Oh, yeah. But it's it sounds like the more simplistic you think, the more fun the game is. That Yes, absolutely. And that's a big part of it because if you want to play until you're 27, you have to have fun. You want to play until you're 30, 33, you have to have fun. I mean, two of my teammates, Monica and Kat, the oldest on the team, I mean, they wouldn't be doing this to come out of retirement. They wouldn't be playing for this long if they didn't absolutely have fun and love the game. Man, I loved this conversation with Delaney so much. And I know you probably did too. There's probably so many takeaways that you've taken from her. Did anybody else laugh when she talked about her crazy story of her Team USA tryout invite and her thinking that it was fake? Oh my gosh, I laughed so hard when she said that. But she's just so real and honest. And I love how she talks about how when she was younger, her personality wasn't exactly what teammates or coaches thought was what a personality should be in softball, but that's a testament to everybody's different. Everybody shows their emotions differently. And for Delaney, who's now on Team USA, that works for her. And I say this all the time, I wanna say it again, but the reason why Delaney is so good is because she knows herself and she knows how she ticks and she surrounds herself with people who know that about her. So if you guys loved this conversation, I'd love for you to share it. And the best news is Delaney is going to be on the podcast again next week. Yes. Like I said before, she went through this crazy injury and now I want you guys to understand the journey that it took for her over a year long journey of recovery of getting an ACL surgery and being back in the Olympics. She will be competing for team USA in 2021 and her journey from that injury to now has been a gritty one. It's been an ugly one. And she talks about next week, what was it that kept her going when she didn't know if there was a light at the end of the tunnel? So if anybody's battled an injury on your team or that you're just exposed to now, that's going to be the episode for them. So do me a massive favor and make sure to subscribe to the podcast. So next week when that episode drops, you're the first to know and you're the first to get your ears on it. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. Like I said before, I would love it if you shared this, maybe took a screenshot of you listening and shared it on your stories on Instagram or maybe on Facebook. Just share it with your tribe. The more people that can hear this message, I believe the better. So make an influence on the people around you and make them better by sharing this or just talking to them about this and how much it was an influence on you. All right, guys, I will see you same time, same place next week. See you later.